um, from time to time. We are going through the book of Romans chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We are in Romans chapter 3, verse 28. Why don't you rise for the reading of God's word? If you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand because we like not only to uh, hear the word of God, we want to be able to see it. And I really encourage you to bring a pen or a pencil to the service so that you're not only hearing, you're not only seeing, but you're writing down what you hear. Romans chapter uh, 3, verse 28, says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there's one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Let's pray. Father, open this up to us, Lord, that we may understand. Lord, there's words in here that we're not used to reading. We don't uh, hear about them uh, in our schools we don't hear about them uh, in our conversations with our neighbors, Lord. We don't hear about them in the media, but they're right here in your word. And you say in your word that it's living and, it, and it's active and it, it changes us, that it cuts to our soul and divides and, and, and convicts and encourages and builds up, Lord. I just pray, Father, please do that work. Through your word, we know that you... You want to do that work, work in us more than we want you to do it, Lord, and we thank you for that. So please, Lord, we wait upon you, we seek you, we open up our eyes, ears, and minds to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So, in the verses... Here in chapter 4, verses 6 through 9, we see the word 
blessed or blessedness used four times. In verse 6, it says, David describes the blessedness. Verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Verse 8, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And then in verse 9, it says a fourth time, we didn't read this, but it just uses the word again, does the blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? Of course, the answer is yes. Blessed, blessedness. What does that word blessed means? Don't let anyone fool you. It means happy. That is what it means. The word blessed means happy. The Good News Translation says this, happy are those whose wrongs are forgiven. These are the two verses that we just read, 7 and 8 of Romans chapter 4. Happy are those whose wrongs are forgiven, whose sins are pardoned. Happy is the person whose sins the Lord will not keep account of. Happy. It's what the word blessed means. We cannot lose sight of the fact that this is what God wants for you. Happiness and joy. Because it is when you are, because God is most glorified, and that's what this is all about. That's what everything is about, this retreat, our lives, the world. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, I have created this world and all of you who are called by my name to bring me glory. And the Bible says that he is brought most glory when you, talking about you, are most happy, most joy-filled in him. And so this first three chapters of Romans, an unbelievably intense three chapters, and it has not been easy to teach from it. There's so much in here about the wrath and anger of God. There's so much here about the coming judgment, about hell. There's so much in here about how low that men uh, and women have, have descended, and, and, and we're all included among us. But notwithstanding all that incredibly intense stuff that we've been reading, don't be deceived. It's all there because God wants to bring you to a place of joy. That's what it's all about. Blessed, 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 blessed. And verse 30, 28, where we start this morning, is the reason why we are filled with joy when we get it. What brings us this joy? What brings us this happiness where David says, happy, 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 happy? Verse 28, we started it this morning. Therefore, we conclude, Romans chapter 3, verse 28, that man is justified by faith, apart from the deeds of the law. Man is justified by faith apart from the deeds 
of the law. Justified by who? By God. We helped you out here on the projection screen. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by God, by faith, apart from uh, the deeds of the law. Now, what does it mean to be justified by God? What does that mean, justified by God? And again, these are not, as I said in my prayer, as I talked to the Lord in my prayer, these are not expressions that we hear when we go in, uh, into our school classroom. Justified by God. What does that mean? It means this. It means what happens when God looks at a man or a woman or a child and says, you are fit, you are qualified. I, God, now receive you into an everlasting relationship with me. Justified. You are justified. You're fit, you're qualified, I receive you. That's what it means to be justified. It's a declaration uh, by the Lord. You are justified. So verse 28 says, you are justified apart from the deeds of the law, meaning you are fit. You are qualified. God receives you into an everlasting relationship with him apart from doing anything. Apart from doing anything. Now, this is what gets us happy. This is what will make us happy when we truly embrace this and get this. You are justified by faith apart from doing anything. It is through faith alone. It is by what you believe, not by what you do. It is by what you believe, not by what you do. It is by faith. So, faith in what? Belief in what? Well, it's, the answer is in a very long sentence that we spent two weeks on. Verses 21 through uh, 26. Just back up uh, just a little bit. Again, the question, the question that I'm asking, by faith in what are you justified by God? By faith in what? Answer, verse 21, says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. The righteousness of God, apart from the law, has been made known. The righteousness. And we talked a few weeks ago about what righteousness means. What does righteousness mean? We have that, that definition. Righteousness means being right, perfectly right, always right, never right, never wrong, rather, in the eyes of God. Again, what does righteousness mean? Being right, perfectly right, always right, never wrong in the eyes of God. Which, by the way, is the requirement for a relationship with him. But verse 21, we say, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, it's been made known, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to, to all and on all who believed for there's no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood last week we spent the entire message on that one word propitiation 
So, so what are you having faith in? When, when Paul says um, we are justified by faith ap- apart from the law, we, what are we having faith in? We're having faith in the propitiation. What does that mean? That means that our sin was put on him and he suffered all the wrath, all the anger, all the judgment of God in our place. That's what we're having faith in. Again, verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Oh my, is that a mouthful. But, um, but the, the, the point um, uh, is this, is that a righteousness that has not, is not our own has been revealed. It's been made known. It's been brought to us. And that's really, 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 really good news for us because uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, says this. We were in this a few months ago. It says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Meaning, we need a righteousness that is not our own because all that we can offer God is an unrighteousness as this verse says, and on that unrighteousness, the wrath of God is coming down. And, 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 and so um, Romans verses 3, verses 21 through, through 26, um, it, 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 it's describing um, what that is that we have faith in. It's about the fact that Jesus lived for you, he died for you, he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven for you, and that you have no uh, righteousness of your own apart from him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, it says, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So your sin your unrighteousness is put on Christ, and his righteousness is put on you. Now, we have a six-week training program for you to, to, for you to lay out the gospel. But if you want the seven- or eight-word version, this is it. Someone says, well, how do I get to heaven? This is what you say. Your sin is put on Christ. His righteousness is put on you. Your sin is put on Christ. His righteousness is put on you. Can we say that all at the same time? One, two, three. Your sin is put on Christ. His righteousness is put on you. One more time. Your sin is put on Christ. His righteousness is put on you. Oh, I guess you don't have to go through that six-week training program. You just got it. Um, but, no, but no, really, we, we fleshed that out some. But, but, but that's it. That is it. That is the truth that you need to just chew on because that is what's going to bring this happy, 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 happy. When you really get it, you're going to be happy. You're going to be blessed. And that is going to drive you on to live a life that glorifies God because he is most glorified when you are most happy in him. So, 
Verse 29, let's continue. Verse 29 of Romans. It starts out again, uh, verse uh, 28 says, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the de- uh, deeds of the law. Uh, verse 29 says, or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. So Paul here, why is he saying this? What does this mean? Why is all of a sudden, you know, Paul says, Paul says, you're justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Why is he saying this in verse 29? Why does he say this? Why does he say, is, the, is he the God of the Jews only? Well, Paul knows that there are some who are hearing that may say, well, Jesus was a Jew. He was a descendant of Abraham, father of the Jews. Does what you are saying, Paul, apply just to Jews, or does it apply to everyone? And Paul is saying it applies to Everyone Again, verse 29, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he the, not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles only. Verse 30, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the un- uncircumcised through faith, there's one God. Don't let anyone tell you that uh, it is okay that whatever, in some other country or some other region of the world or some other part of Boston, they worship another God, that those folks are right with God. No, that's not what the Bible says. It's not what verse 29 says. There's one God who justifies. There is just one. That's the point there. And then in verse 31, um, Paul says this, do then we make void the law through faith? In other words, do, are we doing away with the law? If you're saying, Paul, that someone is justified, in other words, justified, again, what's the definition? It's when God says, you're fit, you're qualified, I receive you now. Come, let's join together. That's what it means, justified. If you're saying that I'm justified apart from doing anything, verse, 30 says, verse 31 says, does that make the law void? Does that mean... There's no purpose of the law? Did did you just like, is there like some big balloon and inside is the law and you just prick the balloon and it's all gone? And and, and if so, can we just, it sounds to me that maybe we can just go out and we can just believe in Jesus. We can say a a, a simple prayer, prayer of faith and then we can go off and do anything we want. We can just hit the clubs in the weekend. We can just go over to the prostitution houses. We can just go off and spend our entire life just making money and growing fat and happy. Is that what you're saying? Are you, is the, again, what he's saying in verse 31, do you then make void the law through faith? See, see, Paul, uh, some Jews, he knows some Jews are listening here. And there would have been Jews in Rome as well. He's writing to the Romans as well as Gentile. And they hear this astounding statement in verse 28 We conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And they're thinking, wait a second, apart from the law, listen, Paul, this law has been our life for uh, 1,500 years. God gave us the law. He gave us the law in the most spectacular fashion to Moses on Mount Sinai. And God tells us in the book of Deuteronomy time and again, be careful to obey every single bit of this law. Moses says that. 
Many times Moses says those words. And they're thinking, Paul, what do you mean a man is justified by faith faith apart from the deeds of the law? And how does uh, Paul respond? He says, certainly not, mid, mid uh, verse 31, middle of verse 31, certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. On the contrary, we establish the law. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he's going to answer it in the first eight verses of chapter 4. He's going to answer that question. What does that mean? By the way, if you look these verses up and you read commentators about it, you read many different things, what he means by this. And all of you need to get into the Word on your own and come to your own conclusion and whether or not what my opinion is, because I have an opinion of what I think it means, but you need to get into the Word and test what I say. What does he mean? The law is established. What does he mean by that? What does he mean when, I, when, when he says, well, when I'm telling you that uh, God justify you, justifies you apart from anything you can ever do, that's not voiding the law, that's establishing the law. What does he mean by that? Again, he's gonna, he, I, I believe he's going to answer this, I believe, thoroughly in the first eight verses of chapter 4. And he starts off by saying this. He starts off by saying, listen, Jew, because it's the Jew who's bringing up the objection right now. I'm not telling you anything different than what's taught in the Old Testament. I'm teaching the same thing that you've been reading for 1,500 years. Genesis to Malachi. And he starts off by talking about Abraham in verse 1. These are not easy verses. Try to stick with me here. So he says, what then shall we say about Abraham? What he's going to say is, look, with Abraham it's the same thing. He taught the same thing that I'm teaching, that it's by faith and not by works. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, well, he had something to boast about, but not before God. Verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted or credited it to him for righteousness. So what's he saying here? Well, this Abraham guy, he was a good dude. I mean, like, he was an incredibly good dude. If you remember, Abraham was called out of the land of what modern-day Iraq, Babylon, and he was... He got to the promised land. He brought his nephew, Lot. And there wasn't enough land for him and Lot to have the same land. And so what does Abraham do? He says, you, you choose whatever land you want. You want. And what land, did, what land did, did, did Lot choose? Someone shouted out. The land around where? Sodom. It was, it was a lush land, good pasture land. And he gave it to Lot. 
So now we know about Sodom, and the problems with Sodom started, and Lot started really soon. What we read in the book of Genesis is not long after Lot got there, got, got around Sodom and moved into Sodom, uh, there was a war by some kind of enemy king. They came and stole every, from every, everything from Sodom, all the gold, all the silver, all the garments, and a guy by the name of Lot. Abraham, who is in some other place, what's his response? That <laughs> serves him right. It's a wicked city. Let them burn in hell. Let them be, be, you know, become a slave of those, uh, of those enemy kings. No, he didn't. Even though he, he knew by that time, he knew about Sodom. He knew that Lot had made the wrong choice. He knew it was going on. Abraham gathered a bunch of men and went and just defeated these enemy kings, got Lot back, his nephew, and everything, all the goods, the gold, the silver, and all the gar garments that belonged to that wicked king in Sodom. And then what does he do? He goes to the king of Sodom and gives it all back. That's a good dude right there. That's a good guy. But verse 3 says, that's not what, that's, that's the fact that he was a good guy and did good things like that were not the reason that God justified him. Remember what that word justified, God justifies means. It means God, God looked at, looked at him, say, you're fit, you're qualified, I'm ready to receive you. Wasn't the reason. What was the reason? It says right there in verse 3. It says, Abraham believed God, meaning the promises of God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. He was justified by believing, by believing the promises of God. God had promised Abraham. He, he promised Abraham. He says, through your descendant, through your descendants, speaking of a descendant, who we know as Jesus Christ, who was the great, 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 great grandson of Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on the earth will be blessed. And God, at one point, Abraham, 85 years old, said to God, what's up with that? How can that be? I don't have a son. I don't have a daughter. I don't have any offspring. And God said to him, stay put. I'm going to do it. 85 years old. His wife, by that time, what was she, 70? And it says that Abraham, nonetheless, in spite of the, the fact he's 85, his wife is, I think, around 70, it says he believed God. And right there in Genesis 15, it says, and because he believed God, it was credit to him, him as righteousness. What does righteousness mean? It means, it, it, it means in the eyes of God, you're always right, you're never wrong all the time. In other words, you're fit to go to heaven. See, see it was a righteousness that was not his own. He needed a righteousness that was not his own. Even Abraham, this really, really good guy who goes out and gets back for a wicked king and, 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 and recovers all his assets and gives him back. Even someone that good. It says that his works, his good works, at least before a holy God, they don't mean anything. You need to believe in the promises of God. Next on, he, he moves to David. Let's read it. Verse four, it says, Now to him who works... The wages are counted as great, uh, rather, are not counted as grace, 
but as debt. Verse 5, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So the point of verse 4 is this. If you work a job and you, you, you negotiate a wage, you negotiate pay before you start working. So at the end of the, at the, end of the day, that employer... He's indebted to you. He owes you something. And, and, and what Paul is saying here is God does not owe you or anyone anything. It doesn't work like that from, with God because if it worked like that with God, it would not be about grace. And your salvation is all about grace. Uh, verse 5, it says, But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Can you imagine that? Just think about what that says, the first few words there. But to him who does not work, God will justify him, even if he's ungodly. Doesn't seem fair. It seems crazy. Surely this can't be true. Well, the first three chapters of Romans again have convinced us that it better be true because we have nothing to offer God, works or not, that are going to make us worthy of going to heaven. And so then he moves on from Abraham to David, verse 6, just as David also describes. So remember, he's telling these Jews, look, I say that you are saved by faith apart from the works of the law. You're objecting, objecting to it, but I'm telling you, the Bible's always taught this. It starts with Abraham, and then it goes on to David. Verse 6, just as David also describes the blessedness, the happiness of a man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Verse 7, and this is quoting David in Psalm 32, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed, happy is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute or credit or put uh, or count their sin against them. So, so David's happy here. He is blessed here. Uh, Dave, can we have the, 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 the verses again uh, in, in the Good News translation? The, the little translation uh, is happy are those whose wrongs are forgiven whose sins are part. Happy is the person whose sins the Lord will not keep account of. Now, why is David so happy? Why is he so happy here? Well, turn with me to Psalm 38. Turn with me to Psalm 38. That's in the middle of your Bible. So at the time of the writing of Psalm 38 and Psalm 32, which is quoted in Romans 4, David, at the time that kings usually go off to war, so we have basketball season and baseball season. They didn't have that back then. They had war season. It was in the spring and the summer that the kings would have to go off to war because uh, in, in Israel, there'd always be enemies that were just pestering them. But he stayed behind. And this is in 2 Samuel he stayed behind, and uh, he was out in the veranda one day. He's looking down. He sees a woman bathing, Bathsheba. He's attracted to her. He knows he's uh, 
she's married to another man. In fact, he, the, he, she's married to a guy named Uriah the Hittite who's listed as one of David's mighty men, one of the men that David really, really depended upon. Uriah, he knew him well. Calls the woman to his quarters anyway, has relations with her, gets her pregnant, tries to do a cover-up scheme, it fails, winds up having Uriah, her husband, killed. And so, Psalm 38, David, he's got this, he's got this, this knowledge of what he did inside of them. It's not generally known. He's got this knowledge of this sin. At this time, it's, people don't know about it, or at least he thinks he's getting away with it. And it says in verse 3 of Psalm 38, there's no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds are fouled and festering because of my foolishness. Now there's every reason to believe he's not only talking about wounds in his soul, but guilt also makes you sick. Your guilt makes you sick. When you start pretending that you're a person that you are not, it makes you sick physically. It stresses you out. Your immune system gets corrupted and you become ill. Verse 6 of Psalm 38, David continues again with this sin known only to God and him. I'm troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long for my loins are full of inflammation. There's no soundness in my flesh. I'm feeble. I'm severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. He's messed up in his mind. He's messed up in his body because he's got this thing that he did. He is not a happy camper. Now go with me to uh, uh, Psalm 32. Just a few, uh, a few verses, uh, a, few cha- a few chapters before, a few pages before. Verse three, same thing. <laughs> when I kept silent... My bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand, he's speaking of God, was heavy upon me. My vitality, meaning my energy, was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgression uh, to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. All of which resulted in what? Happiness. Verse one of Psalm 32. Blessed, happy is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, let's think about that last verse there. Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven and whose spirit there is no deceit. Does that mean I 
I mean, I, what if it's like, well, I, I can be deceitful. In fact, this week I can think of three times where I shaded the truth with someone. Does that mean I... Does that mean my sin is still imputed to me? That, does that mean there can be no blessedness in my life? No, no. what that means is in whose spirit is no deceit, it's when you come to God, you can't be a hypocrite. You, you can't be a fraud. You can't say, God, I got something to offer you. God, I have a righteousness that's my own. And I, you know, uh, I can take myself 10% of the way or 50% of the 10% of the way, but I need you for the last 10%. No, that's deceit in your heart. You're deceived. You're a fraud if you go to God that way. Again, it says, um, it, it says in verse 1 and 2 of, uh, of Psalm 32, blessed, happy is the one uh, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. When you come to God and you're just surrendered and you say, Lord, there's stuff in me. I know you know about it. I'm not going to present that to you now as anything but something I need the blood of Jesus for. I need your forgiveness. I need your righteousness, Jesus. You get happy. You leave happy. You get really, really happy. Now, does anyone remember what the question was that we wanted to answer from the end of chapter three? What was the question that we wanted to answer? Someone shout it out. What does it mean to establish the law? Who said that? All right, thank you, Miranda. What does it mean to establish law? Do you know what happens when you get a taste of grace? When, when, when your bones have been troubled because of your sin, when the, the hand of God is hot and heavy on you, when your vitality, your strength is just drained out, and when you go to the altar of God and he says, I will not credit you with any of that, that murder, David, that, that um, adultery, David, the deceit, David, the lying to everyone around you, David, none of that is going to be credited to you. It's all been washed away. You are forgiven. You are happy. Do you know what that happiness does? It empowers you to start living for God and loving God more than you've ever done in your whole life. Listen, there's no possible way that you can love God enough. We can't love God. Don't come to me and say to me, oh, this person uh, over there, uh, they're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. Or they love Jesus so much, I can't even deal with it. You cannot possibly love Jesus enough for what he's done for you. So let's go back to uh, verse 31 of chapter Romans. Let's go back there. It says, we've established the law. What does Paul mean by that? I believe what he means by that when he says, um, Look, we go to heaven, we're, we're declared righteous by, uh, by faith and by belief, uh, by belief uh, not by our own works. I believe what he means by that is that when a man or woman, their eyes are opened up to the, 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 the boundless ocean of grace that is in Christ Jesus, that they, all their sins are washed away as a, re a result of belief only, and they don't, they don't even get to offer any works because none of their works are good anyway, they get really happy. And when they get really happy, instead of the, you know, that law 
Is this a nuisance? That law that is, you know, that, that's always there. It says, oh yeah, I gotta obey that law. No, they start to love the law. Psalm 119, actually I believe it's David, uh, says this. Um, now this is, is clarity for you. Oh, how I love your law. Psalm 119, 97. And just in case you didn't get it, he repeats himself in verse, uh, the next verse that we have. Do we have a next verse? 163, I love your law. And just in case you didn't get it, two verses later, verse 165, I, whoa, whoa, there you go. There's one back. There, there's three times it's mentioned in Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 119, I love your law. And then, and then it says, you can go to the next one, I run in the path of your commands. That's what, that's what I believe establishing the law means. That when you taste grace and you're, just, and, 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 and you're so blessed by it and you get it, you start running in the path of your commands. Not like, none of that. You look like the missing link when you live like that. And we, we know that's not true. Uh, you, you run in the path of, uh, of God's commands. Uh, 1 John chapter 5 puts it like this. I love this verse. It says, anyone who is born of God, the commandments of God are not burdensome. It, 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 if you hear that and that seems crazy to you, you don't understand the grace of God. You don't. You don't get it. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. That's why we're here. We're here to seek the Lord to the point where we get it. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He says, for my, my burden, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, meaning what he requires of you. It's light. It's light. The, the commandments of, of the, I love the, do you know when you start loving the law? Do you know how easy it is to walk in it? Like about a thousand times easier than it was before you loved it and before you understood the grace of God. I'm going to conclude with this verse. Let me ask the worship team to come up at this time. Let's, let's read again verse 5 of chapter 4. If the worship team could come up that mighty throng of women, if they could come up again, and, and if you've been asked to, to pray, if you could also come up as well. But let's read, let's read verse, verse 5 again. I want to I conclude with this. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. What? Justifies the ungodly. That's what it says. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. Let, let, let me tell you, the first time that a person becomes a Christian, what happens? They can come into a service like this. They can have an ungodly life. And for whatever reason... They've come to a place in their life that in their heart, 
there's just those habits of ungodliness. You know, smoking weed. That's an ungodly practice, the Bible says. Treating people in an unloving way, that's an unloving, it's an ungodly, rather, practice because the heart of God is always to love. Sexual immorality, porn, whatever, ungodly. Being addicted to work because it's in that work that you get value, ungodly. It's not godly. Do you know when that person believes in Jesus Christ for their salvation and they walk out of the room, they're just as ungodly when they leave as when they came in. They may have a different attitude now, but all that stuff's still in their heart. You do not get to God and have Him justify you by trying to be godly. That's not how it works. You, you, you don't try to fix your life. I don't know how many times I've talked to someone, I've got I to get some, some things wrong in my life, and then I'll start going to church. That, that's not how it works. You will be so frustrated and so miserable trying to get godly in your own strength. And God doesn't justify the people who are trying to get godly. He doesn't do that. It says right here, he justifies the ungodly. It, he, he justifies the people who is, have recognized that I'm ungodly. I need you, God. That's who he justifies. But the Bible says that when Jesus is knocking on your heart, and he's saying, stop trying to to become something you could never be, just invite me in and I'll, and you can become that person by my strength, by my power. And you, when you do that, the Holy Spirit comes in. And it's at that point that that process of godliness begins. Spurgeon, great quote. Can we have the Spurgeon quote? Spurgeon says this, holiness, or you could say godliness, is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. Everyone get that? Holiness is not the way to Christ. I, I, I can read a, a whole book on regulations and rules about what it means to be holy. The way to Christ is not trying to do those things on that list. <laughs> it's not it. It's to come to Jesus And then Jesus, who it says comes in, he invades your life, he comes in and occupies, he possesses in the person of the Holy Spirit. He'll make you holiness. He'll establish the law, Romans chapter 3, verse 31, in your life. He'll establish it by, ma by making you love the law, by getting to the point where the, lo the law of God, 1 John 5, is not burdensome. By getting you to the point where you understand a life with Jesus Wow, it's true. His burden is, is light. His yoke is easy. If you've been asked to pray, be a prayer couple. Salman, can we have a couple, uh, one or two other couples up here? As you're reflecting, just 
just over what we have heard here is two things. If you've never come to Jesus, if you've never come to him, Jesus says, come to me. If you've never come to him by faith, recognizing that that quote we just saw of Spurgeon, that holiness does not come by my actions, holiness comes by coming to Jesus. If you've never really done that, come up, let's pray through it. It's, it's, it's by, as we've been talking about all morning, it's by faith, it's believing, it's talking to God. Christian if the commandments of God are burdensome to you. I'll go far to say, I'll go so far to say, if you don't love God's law, you had better be doing some serious business with him. If you'd like, do it. Come and do it with me. I can pray with you or one of the other couples up here. Because God wants to establish the law life. God, God wants you. He's blessed by you running in the path of his commands. That, happen, that happens when we're happy, we're blessed, we're, we're happy in God because we understand his grace. If you'd like to pray about anything else, you can come up. Why don't you stand? I'll close in prayer and we'll close in worship. Father, we just thank you. And it is true. Blessed, happy, Lord, are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man, the woman, to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Happy is that man, that woman, that child. God, I just pray by the Holy Spirit. Invade now that your happiness would abound, that your joy would abound. Because, Lord, we know that you are most glorified when we're most happy in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's worship and come up and pray if you'd like.